it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. News headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. Pete Hegseth will be here shortly. Rich Lowry at the bottom of the hour. Man, we have a lot to discuss. Major movement in the Democratic Party. I think things are going to change, and there's some dire warning signs if they don't. We're also going to be talking about what's taking place around the country uh, when it comes to uh, different criminal activities that are taking place. Do you know in New York they have been overrun with illegal immigrants. I mean, you're talking about 85,000. Do you know what the Democratic administration just told the Democratic mayor? It's really your fault for not having a plan past 30 days for these illegals. Excuse me? Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. What you see Republicans uh, in Congress, right, they have uh, spent all year investigating the president and uh, have turned up with no evidence, none, he, that he did anything wrong. All right, here you go, KJP. A new impeachment period is upon us. All eyes on Comer, Jordan, Hunter, and ultimately Joe. Is the inquiry worth the political risks? Number two. In terms of the trend in inflation, I think we probably have a disagreement there as well. If you take the more timely, say, three-month annualized average, uh, then you see uh, an even clearer uh, result. Uh, Inflation is easing. It continues to ease. Really? Bidenomics? Something to run on or run from? The numbers and the reality say it just ain't working. It's up to you to weigh in at the ballot box. Number one. This combination of Joe Biden at the top of the ticket, people feel uneasy about somebody who's 82 serving another four-year term. Time is running out. In another month, this is going to be too late to have this conversation. Wow. The Washington Post, Dave Ignatius, often on our show. Joe, they want you to go. Biden is used to the attacks from the right, but now they're coming from the left. And we look now at 2024. The window is closing. I mean, how long can it stay open? Pete Hegseth joins me now, fresh off Fox and Friends. Hey, hey Brian. You shocked at Dave Ignatius coming out like that? Writes it, the column. It, it is an interesting twist. It took somebody to say publicly what almost universally across Washington, D.C., Democrats are saying privately. And it, we, there was another morning show yesterday, a liberal one, where it, the consensus of the show, and this is a D.C.-based left-wing show, was that every Democrat they talk to right. off camera says Joe has to be done. He can't do the – and it's about doing the job. They're not even making the case about beat Trump, not beat Trump. It's – he can't do it. He's, he's not able to function. He's uh, you know four hours in the middle of the day maybe and then the rest of the time on vacation. But they are – that's why David Ignace wrote, wrote the piece. They're out of time. You make the move now or you don't. So, you know, it's interesting. Trump talked to Megyn Kelly. And in that, he said, I don't think he's too old. He's just incompetent. Is that the tact? Is that the tact the Republicans should take? Well, I actually think that's right. Because the polls we did this morning on Fox and Friends show that the numbers reverse for Trump, even though they're more or less the same age. He's only a little bit younger. It is, it is not that Joe Biden's too old. And I think we, we say that just because that's mm. the default. It is because he's not 
capable. The age clearly has something to do with it at this point, but it's mental acuity. Well, I'll take an 85-year-old that's firing on, on all cylinders doing the right thing. And, oh, by the way, his policies are hurting the country, and everybody knows it. So it, it is a competency piece, and it is – here's here's why right. it's so different than 2020, Brian. First of all, he's four years older. Second of all, he has to govern the country while campaigning. You can do a basement strategy under COVID and basically hide from your opponent. You can't hide from the cameras when you're the president and trying to run for re But he has since July. I mean, he's doing the best he can, but foreign trips and certain ceremonial moments are inevitable, and he'll have to keep doing them. This what struck me. The amount of reporters asking questions that only Peter Ducey and Jackie Heinrich were answering. So listen to this exchange. John Kirby, um, who I think does better at his job, but has disappointed me so much. From the Afghanistan withdrawal on, cut for. In the past couple of weeks, the president has lied about being at ground zero the day after the September 11th attacks, falsely claimed he saw the Pittsburgh Bridge collapse, uh, claimed his grandfather died in the hospital days before his birth. What is going on with the president? Is he just believing things that didn't happen did happen, or is he just randomly making stuff up? The president uh, was deeply touched and honored to be able to spend 9-11 with uh, military members there in Alaska and families, <laughs> make an, an important set of remarks about why we need to continue to remember that day. He's had a string of saying things that happened, didn't things that are easily debunked. Why does he keep doing that? The president was grateful to spend that time with those family members and those troops. Pete, <laughs> what the hell? What would you say? There's nothing you can say. You can't be the first one that breaks the dam of honesty. Corinne Jean-Pierre can't do it. He won't do it. What I wonder, is there anyone in Biden's orbit that would come to him with a rap sheet and say, Mr. President, the following eight things that you say consistently are not true. You either need to stop saying them. Uh, No one's doing that. He's playing the hits. He's just playing the hits in his brain with whatever he's thinking of or whatever story he's convinced himself is true. There's nothing you can spin in that situation. I think I, I don't I agree with you. John Kirby's been really bad on a lot of levels uh, and, and didn't handle a lot of things. But there's nothing you can say. They can't defend it on the big things. The president got it right. He has got this country going in the right directions, yes. you know, and do one of those things and look at what he has done internationally. And if a day or two is off here and there, so be it. You know, that would be something I would say. But doing the ignoring like Kamala Harris did on Sunday when asked about what week is the week where you say you should not have an abortion. And she just kept avoiding the question saying, I am for reinstalling Roe v. Wade. Part of it is that they haven't faced these questions, Brian. It's like someone who's, you know, been uh, right like me riding the elliptical machine for years uh, with a complicit press. And now you got to go run a marathon and you right. wonder why you're, you pull your Achilles in the first uh, first three miles. Like they haven't been pushed. Right. No one's pressed them during right. the campaign or since. And now these questions are legit and they can't answer them. Jen Psaki was pretty good, right? I don't uh, – she I mean, told untruths, but she was better at policy than, than Biden was. Sometimes to me she would lead from the podium. Yeah, she's not my cup of tea. I actually don't think she was as good as some people think she was. But, I mean, Karine Jean-Pierre makes her look like a rock star. Right. So remember when, remember when Joe Biden said this? There's a movie about John Wayne. He's an Indian scout, and they're trying to get the, I think it was the Apache, one of the great tribes of America, back on the reservation. And he's standing with the Union, so he's, they're all on, they're, and they're on their horses and their saddles. 
and there's three or four Indians in headdresses and the Union soldiers. And the Union soldiers basically saying, the Indians, come with me, we'll take care of you, we'll be, everything will be good. And the Indian scout, the Indian looks at John Wayne and points to the Union soldier and says, he's a lion dog-faced pony soldier. Well, there's a lot of lion dog-faced pony soldiers out there about, about global warming. Yeah, I, 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 I listened to it. I was, I was on the road. I was listening to it on satellite radio, and I said, what the hell is he talking about? He's in Vietnam <laughs> talking about global warming. I'm so glad to sit around and talk about global warming. So then our fact checkers went out, and he was totally wrong about the movie. Here is the movie. Today I, Kona War Chief and leader of the Dog Soldiers, will give a pony to a poor man. For I bring in a captive, a red coat pony soldier. You have taken two captives from the country of the Long Knives. The pony soldier speaks with a tongue of the snake that rattles. It is standing bear who speaks with a forked tongue. So he, Tyrone Power, not John Wayne, and it was a non sequitur. I, I mean, the, the whole scene didn't help his story. No, I, and aren't, isn't he part of the politically correct uh, party that's not supposed to say Indians anymore, too? Uh, that's right. <laughs> right? Like, that's, uh, a, that's a fireable offense, right. Mr. Here he's like the everybody knows the grandpa that you have or the uncle that you have who just just sits back, tells the stories, plays the hits. That's where he's at. That's where he. What do we expect? Another speed here? There is no other speed, and I think it, speed it, is anger. Evidently, he rages behind the scenes and he rages back at people. But that's you what see people it. who don't have a grip on their own life do. You get angry. I've I've experienced it firsthand. He's got. I mean, the amount of frustration. He must have. I can't imagine. Pete Hexeth here. Pete, I watched the vice president get really tough questions on Face the Nation, and it would have been an opportunity because you ran for office. You know, you know, if you're good, I think DeSantis is best when challenged. He's better with Nora O'Donnell than he would be with, uh, you know, here, let's say. So Kamala Harris is an opportunity to answer real questions and let her judge her leadership. Because it's an audition for her. She's supposed to make the Democrats feel better about voting for him. And instead, everyone has the same read as us. She's got 36% approval rating, and she earned it. Dave Ignatius said this in the column and then on television. Cut to. My impression from talking to people in Washington and around the country is that she has not been successful in the way that she would want in getting traction as, as, as vice president. The, the key question with somebody who's as, as old as vice president, as, excuse me, President Biden will be, is, is whether people see the vice president as, as a strong successor. So far, I don't think she's made that case to the country. If she's going to make it, now's the time. Again, what are we, why are we expecting, you know, an MVP level performance from a perpetual bench warmer? Like she doesn't have it. She won't do the homework, doesn't have the capabilities, is not skilled. And so this may be her moment, but she doesn't have the gear. And I think, you know, I can see other networks are right now talking about David Ignatius column right now. This is a this is a swarming of the White House of a wake up call right now. They're trying to say and you know why? It's because they're afraid they can't beat Trump. This actually does come back to fear of the ability to beat Trump. And who could they run that they believe can? And I think they see the writing on the wall. To back up your point, Nancy Pelosi, the same way she took on AOC by saying she just got here. 
Remember, she was on yes. stage and she refused to acknowledge the squad. Listen to this with Anderson Cooper last night. Cut three. Is Vice President Kamala Harris the best running mate for this president? He thinks so. And that's what matters. <laughs> and by the way, <laughs> she's very politically astute. I don't think people give her enough credit. People shouldn't underestimate what Kamala Harris brings to the table. But do you think she is the, the best running mate, though? She's the vice president of the United States. So people say to me, well, why isn't she doing this or that? I said, because she's the vice president. That's the job description. You don't do that much. (laughs) (laughs) That's by choice. She could be the border czar. You know, Vice President Biden was doing a heck of a lot for for, uh, Obama, whether you like it or not. He was busy. He gave him an assignment. He did it. At least you could say, yeah, you know, have the talk to the vice president. Mike Pence wasn't good for Trump, didn't do anything. Nobody thought that. Nobody thought Dick Cheney was hands off with George Bush. Those days of the vice president not doing anything. That was in the 19th century. It's a tailor made uh, position to give something big on your portfolio into onto their plate. Problem is she didn't want what they were giving. So she didn't want women's issues and didn't want uh, minority issues. She said, according to this new, book, she doesn't want to get boxed in, according to the new book. And then she was given the border and felt like it was a failing assignment from day one rather than trying to wrap her arms around the issue, she spewed a few talking points about root causes and and never actually went to the border. She didn't own a single issue. And as you pointed out on the show this morning, the closest she got was sort of women's reproductive rights after Roe v. Wade. But even then, she can't answer the basic question. Because the basic answer to that question is, we want abortion Mm -hmm. on demand until nine months of pregnancy, which is a really radical position. Or you say to yourself, I'm going to pick a week, and that's going to, I'm going to take a stand. You know, and I think that's what Lindsey Graham did. He said 15 weeks. Some people said, oh, that's wrong. But at least you could say, I know where Lindsey Graham stood. She should have been able to say, hey, listen, if you really want me to handle abortion rights, they think it's going to be to, to birth. I don't think so. You can't leave me out there not to say anything. So let me say something. So that would have, I would have game planned that before I ever went before a microphone. I, either they don't game plan, she won't let them game plan, or there's no game planning that can be done to make her better. When we come back, I believe the most important vice presidential nomination in modern politics is going to happen. And that is if Donald Trump gets the nomination, he's term limited. That person is queued up for eight years. Who does Pete Hegseth think will be that person? Only that will be answered if you keep it here. Both sides, all opinions. It's Brian Kilmeade. This is Jimmy Fallon, inviting you to join me for Fox Across America, where we'll discuss every single one of the Democrats' dumb ideas. Just kidding. It's only a three-hour show. Listen live at noon Eastern or get the podcast at foxacrossamerica.com. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Three quarters of America, they don't want to see a repeat of Trump and Biden. They want to see a new generational leader. The Senate has become the most privileged nursing home in the country. We need to, these people need to know when to leave. They need to know when to get out of the way. And you look at Biden, I'm not running against Joe Biden. I'm running against Kamala Harris. No one believes that Joe Biden's going to actually perform in his term. Nikki Haley surging in the polls. And it brings me to this, Pete Hegseth. Um, you believe Trump's got the nomination locked up. Surging? Which, which poll are, are we seeing? Is this a surge from four to eight? 
Because yeah. the latest Quinnipiac to poll 10. is 62% Trump. Right. 12 DeSantis, Nikki somewhere there in the eights, along yeah, with Vivek Ramaswamy. He is very much in control. It's over, Brian. Okay. She, she said, you need to know when it's time to leave. Look in the mirror. That's my, that is my honest thought. Okay. Okay, I know they're count. She's counting on the indictments working. That's what everyone's counting on. That's the only thing they can count on. People don't make up 50-point leads with a with its pretty standard campaign. And yeah. I don't nothing uh, against Nikki Haley. Yeah. I, it's just not going to happen. After 2022 midterms and a lot of so many Trump candidates failed miserably and he didn't finance them. Uh, you know, Mastriano was a ridiculous pick. I loved Herschel, but I would, I'm not sure if, if that was the best choice. Um, we'll see. But right now, Trump policies look so much better every day because of Biden. So let's say he gets the nomination. And he's always said it doesn't really matter. That doesn't win or lose elections. It does for the future of the Republican Party. Can you give me your top three that you think, number one, likely – and Pete Hegseth thinks would be a good running mate. Okay, I'll, I'll throw a couple. I'll throw a couple curveballs. First, the the fastballs. I mean, I think someone like Christy Nome is possible. I think someone like Carrie Lake is possible. I think there might be a congresswoman or two that he would he would consider. I think it's likely Stephonic. probably a female. Stefanik, maybe one of them. You mentioned the eight year setup. Do you knowing Trump? Do you think he really wants someone who immediately is the de facto candidate in the White House? Pence worked well for him because Pence played a certain role. I'm thinking a curveball of something like Tulsi Gabbard. Because Tulsi Gabbard, if she were to be the vice presidential pick, she's anti-war, she's anti-woke. There's some issues she's going to disagree with on the base, but Trump's the president. The Republican Party's not going to nominate her as the standard bearer in 2028. It'll be a wide open field in 2028. And therefore, Trump doesn't have a shadow president in the White House with him, which would agitate him from day one anyway. Hell, and and she's is she smart? Mil, former military? I'm not saying that's what's happening under consideration. But if you bring in someone I who wants to, of that. I if you bring in someone who wants to be president right away in January 20th, 2025, Trump's not going to have them running around shadow campaigning. He's not going to want that. Interesting. If that's the case, I think Carrie Lake would be a mistake because she'll be doing that. No, no question. I, I like uh, her I a lot. A, I, 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 I think she's unbelievably talented. But if you can't take Arizona as a candidate, how are you going to help there? Um, number two, I believe that if you are looking for somebody to help, I think Tim Scott helps. Tim Scott's another and I, one. And I, I think agree with you. Christy Nome helps. And Stefanik, evidently, they talk like three times a week. And the president likes New York, and she like you know, she's not afraid. Who knows? He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. You mentioned your age as one of the reasons for not running for re-election. Is that a nice way to say to some of your colleagues who are older that maybe it's time for them to step down as well? Well, everybody's going to make their own decision, of course, and uh, and consider their own circumstances. Uh, i just looking at my age and where I am. I, I wish, if I knew that I was going to be like Chuck Grassley and, and be able to be vigorous and dynamic into my 90s, might, I might have reached a different decision, but you never know. But I do think that, that the times we're living in really demand the next generation to step up and, uh, and express their point of view. Was that a surprise? It was to me. Uh, nice comments, too. Selfless.
You know, listen, he compliments Grassley and he says, I'm in my 70s, I should probably leave. And he does say he speaks to the president regularly. So what does it mean for the Republican Party? Listen, he's not a leader in the Republican Party. Get it. But he probably looks around and says, if Joe Biden's president, I don't agree with any of this, especially how he's howling out the military. And if Trump's president, I am, I'm invisible and I'm going to be attacking or being attacked 24 hours a day. Rich Lowry is editor of National Review, author of The Case for Nationalism. Uh, Rich, what do you think about Romney's statement and the fact he's not running again? Well, it's uh, just a sign of how fast politics moves, that he was the nominee in 12, and then by 16 was sort of persona non grata in his, in his own party. Utah was probably the only state he could win in, and it probably hasn't been very much fun, even um, you know, with, with Trump no longer in the White House, uh, for him to be in the Senate. I think he's, he's done good stuff uh, policy-wise, some creative stuff. He's, a, he's obviously a profoundly honorable man. And I, I th- but I think this is the right call. You know, he doesn't he doesn't look like he's in his 70s, right? All the clean living. But it's th- this this would be a good model for others to adopt. Uh, we, we said a couple weeks ago, gave us no pleasure. But McConnell, you know, e- even if these these episodes we don't see him again where he froze up, he's just visibly aged and he's too old. And, and the wheels should be turning on on you know what what the what the secession plan is. But all these guys, they just they they tend to hang on. Uh, and girls, I should say tend to hang on too long. It's a, just a human nature. These are great jobs. You know, no, nothing's going to matter career-wise as much. Obviously, once you retire, you don't want to just do sit around collecting stamps, so they all hang on too long. So Quinnipiac did a poll, and they said to Democrats, are you firmly set on your choice for the 2024 Democratic presidential nomination? 58% said might change. Uh, 53, uh, 51% said about Biden supporters said that they would also might change. So how do you feel about the fact that Biden, who is really running unopposed, they don't acknowledge RFK Mm -hmm. Jr., uh, has a party that 70% of which of the country think he's too old. Rich, we've never been at this place at this point with a sitting president. Yeah, so it's it's interesting, um, as we've talked about, the... The, the two parties basically have uh, n- nominees who potential nominees who are at, polling at sixty percent, <laughs> right? But they're for different reasons. So on the Democratic side, the Democratic rank and file, grassroots, if you believe these polls, they're not into Biden. You know, they'd really love to see something else because they they recognize too that he's he's too old. But the party establishment, the party elders, is like, no, you know, let's stick with Biden. He beat Trump before. If he doesn't run, maybe Kamala gets it. She'll be a disaster. Even if Kamala doesn't get it, it could be chaotic, it could be unpredictable. So, so we're just going to stick with this guy. So it's a real kind of cold-blooded uh, calculation. I don't think a good calculation, but it's a calculation. And on the Republican side, like all you need to know is uh, the, the, the clips from uh, that Iowa-Iowa State game last weekend. I mean, it was like the Beatles showing up when Trump showed up at that game and at that fraternity house. So on the Republican side, it's just this passion for, for Trump that you know, more than 50 percent of the party – has, whereas the party elders, even if they're not saying it, they're really like, ah, you know, it would be better to to go with someone else, but they they can't, um, you know, they don't have much power in the first place, and then you can't stop, you know, people are truly enthusiastic and feel great ardor for a candidate, he can't be stopped, and that's what it's looking like at the moment. Rich, from your experience, how late can Biden go in waiting to make his decision? If he's going to get out and give somebody a legitimate amount of time 
to get a campaign going and for the nomination and them having a full-blown series of primaries. What month does he have to get out? I, soon, I would think. You know, it's uh, now. I guess I'm a little confused about what the the Democratic schedule is because there's been no reason really to pay attention to it. But I guess is South Carolina first rather than Iowa. Um, uh, New Hampshire's not giving up, uh, and therefore okay. they're creating chaos. And he's yeah, creating so, so it's, much it's resentment little, in New Hampshire. But still, you know, now, uh, unless he wants to, to get out, you know, on a really clipped schedule and just basically hand it over to Kamala, which I kind of think he wouldn't want to do. So my assumption is he's he's just in. You know, he, he's going to stay in unless there, there's something something terrible happens and he and he has to get out. Otherwise, he's set and determined to do this, and, and uh, the party establishment is, is with him, and they're going to just hope for the best. But I, I don't know how anyone can watch that Vietnam press conference and not think, yeah, this guy easily could find a way to lose to Donald Trump. I'm going to bed. Have you remembered <laughs> in all your years? I'm going to bed. It was truthful. It was like the most truthful thing he's, he's uh, said at that press conference. <laughs> he needed to go to bed, and he was going to go to bed. And what about at the end when he said, anybody else, staff? Meanwhile, he went through his questions, and then when people yelled out questions, he goes, I'm not answering those questions. Who yeah. talks like that? I mean, It was just painful, you know, the 12-minute pause or whatever it was while I was trying to read, read his stage-managed notes. And as we've talked about before, you know, that, that's, that's like the height of his performance going forward, right? It's just going to get worse from here. So uh, Chris Sununu, who firmly believes that Donald Trump will not be the nominee, said this, cut six. Though polls were neck and neck in 2022 and the Republicans got their butts kicked. We should have had a huge red wave and we barely got by with a red ripple, right? We should have had big wins in 2020 and the entire ticket suffered. You know, we should have had wins in 2018 and we lost the House. So, no, we always think we're going to win. The polls always seem to think that the Republicans are going to win, but the reality is we don't. And when you have Trump and his message on top of the ticket, we lost in 18, we lost in 20, we lost in 22. Why would you think that it's going to be a different result in 24. I don't even think Biden, I think it's actually more likely at this point that Biden isn't on the ticket than Trump. And if that happens, you're going to have a new candidate, a new generational change potentially within the Democrat Party. And we're going to be here as Republicans relitigating what happened four years ago. What part of that do you agree or disagree with? Well, let's, let's let's see. So, so he's basically saying just because the polls are close with Trump and Biden, that doesn't mean that you know Trump's as strong as he looks. I, he could be right about that. I mean, a lot a lot of stuff's going to happen next year if Trump's the nominee. Tr- trials, perhaps convictions. But the thing is, you know, Biden, <clears throat> excuse me, barely beat him in twenty. Right? If you look at the swing states, so he, he's now an unpopular incumbent with low ratings on the economy. Not clear which way the economy is going to go if it if it continues to be relatively robust. Obviously, that'd be really good for him, but it might not. Be and and then we have the age thing. So is is that enough for you know ten thousand votes in, in Georgia to swing the other way or twenty thousand whatever it was? Of course it is. So uh, Trump easily uh, could win. I do kind of uh, I've said the same thing that I, <clears throat> just for health reasons I, I've kind of thought maybe Trump will, will is a better bet to be on the on the Republican ticket than Biden is on the Democratic ticket. Who knows? You know, could be wrong about that. But I do think Trump is the riskiest choice among Republicans. He could win, but I think. Uh, you know, a DeSantis or a Scott or a Nikki Haley would probably have a better chance of winning. How do you explain Nikki Haley head to head with Biden in just one poll, up by six more than any other candidate? What is it about her? I, 
I don't know. You know, it, it, that, that may be a function. That, that kind of struck me, too. As you say, it was just one poll. But it may be a function that people don't really know, know her very well. She hasn't been banged up the way, you know, the Democrats did quite a job. It wasn't just Trump. You know, Democrats have done a good job of banging up DeSantis. So maybe that Nikki Haley is just sort of a generic Republican. She's just kind of a stand-in Republican and shows if, if Republicans had someone who wasn't radioactive, he or she'd be polling really well against against Biden. But I'm not sure. That's all. Um, before I let you go, I want to talk about the impeachment inquiry that's out there. For people who think that the House has not done anything in terms of investigating Hunter to sway the American public, I think they're wrong. This is the third poll I've seen like this, and this is uh, Quinnipiac again. The question, do you think Joe Biden was involved with his son's business dealings? 51% said yes. 37% said no. If I told, asked that question in 2020, it would have been maybe 5% said yes, mm-hmm. because the laptop wasn't real. And he said in the camera, I don't know anything about my son's overseas business dealings. And now we know that's not true from the restaurants, from the emails, from the voicemails, um, from everything else that's gone down. So they say they're small lies. I think they're big lies. They could lead to bigger lies. Having said all that, is this the right move? I, w- I wouldn't do it uh, if I were them, because just to, to the point you were just making, th- this investigation has been highly effective. It's had some political effect. You wish it would have more, but it's had some, that, that poll question, others. And uh, they've really just they've moved the ball. So the idea you need to do the inquiry to get the enhanced legal powers, well, maybe, but now there's a question whether you actually have those enhanced legal powers because there hasn't been a formal vote, and the Trump Justice Department's uh, guidance, at least uh, last time around the, during the first Trump impeachment, was that you get you got to have the vote to have the, the enhanced powers. And I just think they're, um, it, it's, it's risky because it, it may be McCarthy, although he says he's going to get, get the vote for inqu- the inquiry, he may never be able to get, get those votes. And more worrisome, it may be after you know, four months of this inquiry or whatever it is, that you still have those mm. four, five, six, whatever it is, Republican moderates saying, you know what, I don't want to vote for impeachment. And then you're putting Biden in the position to say, oh, look, they made this huge deal. They launched an impeachment inquiry, and then they, they didn't have the goods, and they couldn't even get their own votes. So I, I think it, if, if that's where they end up, that would be a, a real shame because this is a serious scandal. They've uncovered serious evidence, and there's, there's clearly more – uh, to come. So, so I wouldn't do it. Um, they're doing it. I, I think they're on a glide path uh, to impeachment. I think they probably – he probably will get the votes at the end of the day because he'll just say, look, you know, we can't give Biden this victory. You need to go along with this or else. And then, you know, of course, he'll never really get acquitted in the Senate unless, you know, unless really something truly shocking has turned up that would change Democratic minds. So I wouldn't do it. I don't think it's a huge – it probably, you know, won't make a huge difference one way right. or the other. I mean, the first Trump impeachment was, was forgotten relatively quickly. And I think – if they end up impeaching him, that'll be the case here. So, Rich Lowry, finally, uh, what's happened at the border? Griff Jenkins just told us he just got numbers. 230,000 came across our border going up again in, the, uh, in August. And the numbers are soaring in September. So your thoughts, you write the column that his border bungle reminds you of Jimmy Carter. I think it's unprecedented failure. Yep. And I believe that that is going to be the Roe v. Wade of 2024. I said that last week. Do you think I'm overstating it? I, I hope you're right. I fear you're overstating it. I just wouldn't have thought this this was sustainable, you know, and he sustained it for three years. What might make it 
less sustainable is the fact now you, you really have Democrats balking, right, who, who are paying the price uh, for this uh, politically and, and literally because it's expensive to care for people who come, come here with, with nothing and show up in, at your uh, doors. So um, it, it'll, it'll be an issue. It's one of the top issues for Republicans, obviously, the economy and, and the border. But will it have the effect of, of a row? I'm not sure. But it, it plays into what is the main vulnerability of, of Biden, which is a sense he's, he's too weak, he's too incompetent, and Afghanistan and the border are, are two really important data, data points on that. Wow. Rich, exciting, right? Yeah, it's, it's, it's uh, I wish it was more of a, a race just for sheer interest on the Republican side. But next year, uh, even if Trump's the nominee, uh, man, if Trump's the nominee, it's going to be wild. It just is. Wild. I love the way Trump's laying out right now. He's saying to himself, mm-hmm. save money. Uh, don't create controversy. Let the focus be on Joe Biden. He's never mm-hmm. played. He's never done things like this. Yeah. Well, that's the contest, right? Biden, the Democrats are betting Biden can make it all about Trump, and Trump, to the extent he can, should try to be making it all about Biden. Go get him, Rich Larry. Thank you. All right. Thanks. All Thank right. You. When we come back, I gave you a lot. Gave you great conversations with Pete. We talked about running mates. We talked about the Democratic field, pushing Joe Biden out. I think it's real. And we just set the table on the right. So you get up right now, uh, 1-866-408-7669. Or you can write me, BrianKilme.com, Brian Kilmeade Show. Politics, current events, and news that affects you. Brian's got a lot more to say. Stay with Brian Kilmeade. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Republicans have literally been looking for evidence of this for years and have not yet found any. This House Speaker is now greenlighting an investigation into Biden without any evidence of wrongdoing. I'm going to reiterate to the audience because we need to be clear. There is not evidence. Well, they don't have evidence yet to prove that very serious allegation. Again, uh, no evidence that we have seen. As for evidence, though, there hasn't been any. House Republicans have still not delivered any proof of President Biden directly benefiting from his son's business dealings. So I wanted to give you the other side. And what I think is important to bring up, these same people without evidence were willing to virtually convict Donald Trump of conspiring with Russia to win an election. They pointed to circumstantial evidence of Don Jr. meeting on a couch with a Russian who brought up Something about getting rid of the McGinsky Act. Aha. They talked about Manafort having Eastern European ties and bragging to his old employers, who is a freelance political guy, saying, I have an in with Donald Trump. Aha. Circumstantial. I think I'll put him in solitary confinement and break him. I think, oh, wait a second. We have other officials talking to random ambassadors in bars saying, There's something that Donald Trump has in Hillary Clinton. Circumstantial, no evidence. What did they do? They launched an investigation. What did they do? Get a special prosecutor to torture the Trump administration for two and a half years. The Mueller report released. Bob Mueller shot. The the report, a series of allegations, the conclusions. There was no collaboration. Meetings that shouldn't have happened, sure. But no, and no apology. Within weeks, he had a she, Nancy Pelosi, had a second impeachment. Where were the allegations? Plenty. Where was the proof? Let's have an impeachment. 
And then they bring people forward and they bring people for the defense and they bring people for the prosecution. And the sparring went on for weeks and the whole country got nothing done. But what happened? You had an investigation. Now, we know you have different opinions on the impeachment. There's no way that was impeachment worthy. But I do think it was just idiocy to send uh, Rudy Giuliani into Ukraine and investigate a possible political opponent as guilty as Joe Biden may be. You just don't do it because, you know, politically, you can't let politics get into policy, but it's not impeachable. So they want to launch an investigation. We just showed you everything, and I've been telling you everything they already found. Joe wasn't linked. Now he's linked. Joe knew nothing. We know Joe knew a lot. Joe was in calling into 20 meetings over the course of 10 years with Devin Archer there. Nobody knew anything about that. The laptop wasn't real. Now we know it's real. That means the content is actually legitimate. That means we have the voice of Joe Biden talking about how Hunter Biden is in the clear because the Washington Post story came out and it was as benign enough to keep him out of trouble. We know all this now. They want to further the investigation. And what I said yesterday that was picked up and and the headlines read inaccurate, I, I encourage you to listen to what I said because I probably said it here too. This is a job interview. Yeah, I know he already got the job. But he lied to get the job the first time when he said the laptop wasn't real and he had nothing to do with Hunter Biden's. Now we know that's all true. During that interview process, we're going to find out more and more about these shell accounts. And then you're going to get to go to the ballot box. He's not going to get impeached because we know it's going to get stopped in the Senate. And there's some moderates in the House that might not see it. But you'll know more about who Joe Biden is. And that's the job interview. News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan. It's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everybody. I'm Brian Kilmeade. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. You know where I'm at. 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan. Heard around the country. Heard around the world. Eli Lake is uh, standing by. He's contributing editor at Commentary Magazine, columnist for the New York Sun, host of the Reeducation Podcast, and his knowledge of foreign policy uh, is without peer and without politics. He just goes out what's best for the country with a great perspective on history. So before we get to Eli, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. What you see Republicans uh, in Congress, right, they have uh, spent all year investigating the president and uh, have turned up with no evidence, none, he, that he did anything wrong. <laughs> yes, no evidence. A new impeachment period is upon us. All eyes on Comer, on Jordan, on Hunter, and ultimately Joe. Is the inquiry worth the political risks? We'll discuss. Number two. In terms of the trend in inflation, I think we probably have a disagreement there as well. If you take the more timely, say, three-month annualized average, uh, then you see uh, an even clearer uh, result. Uh, Inflation is easing. It continues to ease. It is up 13% overall since he took office. Nice try, Jared Bernstein. Bidenomics, something to run on or run from. The numbers and the reality say it ain't working. We'll discuss it. Number one. This combination of Joe Biden at the top of the ticket, people feel uneasy about somebody who's 82 serving another four-year term. Time is running out. In another month, this, this it's going to be too late to have this conversation. Stunning. Dave Ignatius. Joe, they want you to go. 
he is uh, writing for the Washington Post and a columnist. And then you just speaking about what his column told him. And that's Joe Biden. Well, he's used to the attacks on the right. Is he going to be ready for ones from the left? Because they are coming and they are fast and, dare I say, furious. Eli Lake joins us right now. Eli, welcome back. Hey, thanks so much for having me. And congrats on the uh, Shokin interview. Uh, yeah, thank you. A couple of weeks ago, we're going to follow up with Prashanko too, and find out if what Shokin told us about Prashanko hiring him out of retirement uh, is is something that he could back up. So we'll discuss that. It's hard hard enough in American politics, let alone Ukrainian politics. But we're all getting the short course. Uh, Eli, first off, how would you rate the president's trip and press conference in Vietnam? I love the approach of trying to organize the the world that is concerned about China together. But the execution, the explanation surprised me. Well, I think we're at the point now where we have kind of built in um, not just for gas, but like, you know, there that we just assume at this point that if you get Biden in a public you know, setting, you know, give it a, give it some time and he'll, he'll show how old he is at some point. And that's, um, it doesn't really inspire confidence. I mean, like, listen, I think that the press conference, if you look at it from the kind of grand view of history is only like a sliver of whether or not the trip was a success. And these are confidential conversations between leaders and it will take 20 years for us to know exactly what happened. It is, I think the right direction for the policy, which is double down on our relationships with India and Vietnam and try to create a kind of encirclement of countries against Chinese aggression. And that was a policy that I think Republicans and Democrats support. I mean, Trump in some ways tried this as well. And uh, you could say that, that, that Biden is continuing it. So in that respect, I don't have a problem with the substance of it, I get from what we know so far, but the optics of um, our president, our octogenarian president at this point, are not inspiring confidence. And in a moment like this, you would like to sort of have an American president project more energy, at least. And instead, you know, you have all of these questions and questions that are not just limited to Republicans. It's limited. I mean, now we're seeing I think the Ignatius clip that you played is so revealing. And that column was devastating in a lot of ways because you could see Ignatius was making the arguments for you know, I would disagree with him on the various successes of the Biden presidency so far, trying to let him down easy. But I think he understands that um, it's a real problem right now for the party that, um, you know, can he endure? Is he resilient enough? Does he have what it takes to 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 really for a, for a long presidential run? And I don't think he does. Well, a couple of things are going on, because I know you have a real handle on what's going on around the world. Uh, just discussing his foreign policy. Uh, we know, too, the EU has woken up to the threat of China. They are not okay with taking China's uh, uh, subsidized cars into their market, It will the electric cars. It will wipe out any electric car in Europe, and they're waking up to it. They don't need us to incentivize them. And we did send four cabinet secretaries, if you consider John Kerry one, uh, over there asking to be nice. And they don't want to show up at the G20. They want to get the brick thing bigger than the G20. This never will be. And we're begging them to show up in San Francisco for a summit. So the weakness showed on one hand is really what China understands. Well, yes and no. I think that the Chinese system, and we should never lose sight of this, 
the Chinese system, they're, they're not 10 feet tall. They have internal problems. We saw this a little bit with some of the videos that were, sm I guess you could say, kind of smuggled out of their, you know, their Internet uh, censorship. But, they're, you know, remember, at, during the COVID lockdowns in China, there was a rebellion in large cities in, in, in part. Um, you know, Chinese citizens were furious at um, how their government had been treating them. Um, you know, we're, we're seeing um, – I think that it's in some ways China's its own worst enemy. I mean, you think about it, it's, fa it's, it's fascinating. If you go back 50 years, Brian, and say the United States would be forging an important strategic alliance with Vietnam, a country that we were driven out of in defeat, um, you know, in a war that divided our country horribly. Yep. Um, and you'd say, really, how long did that take? I mean, by the 1990s, Vietnam was kind of on its way to becoming a trading partner, and now – we see in the 2020s, it's becoming a strategic partner. They despise That's China. That's extraordinary. And they fear them. Yeah, and it's because China is so aggressive, exactly. And China is our own kind of best PR for uh, aligning with America because nobody wants to be uh, bullied by a country like China. When you look at what's happening in Ukraine right now, uh, Russia meeting with North Korea. I had Douglas Murray on yesterday. And he says this is actually the ultimate sign of weakness when you got to go to one of the most uh, uh, most despised kingdoms with the most despised, bloated leader and bring them over and say, have a 40-second handshake and then give them a tour of your Siberian facilities. That's not strength. No, it's not strength. And more importantly, uh, what does it say that um, – it's, I, I would just – this is an interesting thing. Do you remember about six months ago there was a story that U.S. intelligence believed that China might begin arming Russia uh, in the conflict, which is what the Russians are really interested in? That has yet to happen, and so it forces Moscow and Putin to look to others who would maybe be willing to like send them weapons that they're running out of. And materiel, and it's Iran and North Korea, two basket case countries that are sanctioned, you know, by the, the world and everything else. That is fascinating to me um, because it, it really does kind of expose that, you know, we the Russian military, it's like a Potemkin military in a lot of ways because um, of the corruption within their system. Uh, their defense chief was certainly like, you know, sort of you know skimming off the top. We saw this uh, in the initial invasion, and we're kind of seeing it now. I mean, they have to recruit from prisons. Those are not going to be very good soldiers, as we know. And we just saw a, a, a failed mutiny with um, the Wagner Group, and, uh, you know, we, we saw the downing of Progrosian's plane. I look at all that, and I say to myself, there are a lot of problems that Russia's got right now, and, and the fact that it has to elevate the hermit kingdom, um, you know, one of the, the most dysfunctional and brutal places on the planet. Um, well, that, that tells you everything you need to know. I um, think the Republican Party is moving away from Ukraine. And they, you know, obviously they don't love, and I don't love the way President Biden is slow walking a lot of the material he eventually gives them. The attack yeah. are the latest. The F-16 pilots will be trained by December. Not one tank has been delivered yet. We've given them a lot of money, and I know we're the lead donor. But they say in proportion, Europe has given up, too, a lot, too. But when you go to run a campaign in 2024, Republicans saying I'm supporting the war is not great. And I'm seeing it over and over again. And yet I see the cause is just. Do you see a time in which Ukraine has got to show some 
major advances in order to have the support back here in the U.S.? Have you noticed the division between parties? Well, certainly you're noticing it, the division between the parties. You're noticing the energy in the Republican Party is against the war. My theory on that is that it has very little to do with the actual conditions on the ground. The Ukrainians are doing better, I think, than, than some of the, the dour estimates of, um, of some of the critics of the war would say. That, I, I think it can be explained by the, um, you know, the, the, the campaign of Democrats beginning, you know, at the end of 2016 and throughout most of Trump's presidency to delegitimize the 2016 elections with something we call Russiagate. And so when you have a, it's, it's the irony, of course, is the Democrats, as we both know, have historically been more dovish on Russia than the Republicans. And um, to, that, so when you have a kind of relentless messaging that turns out to have been a hoax, it turns out to have been false that uh, Trump had conspired with Russia in the 2016 election, and you hear Russia, 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 then suddenly when you sort I of know. say, listen, it's in our national interest that we have to, de- we have to help this country that was just invaded, defeat Russia, uh, you know, I mean, it, it, can you blame a lot of just sort of average Republican voters and saying, oh, here we go again? Um, you know, listen, that's a, it's a problem. I mean, Christopher Hitchens used to have this saying, I love it. Don't let your adversaries who you're thinking for you. Um, just because the Democrats were wrong about Russiagate doesn't mean that Ukraine doesn't right. deserve American and support. Then you f- anyway, factor in the impeachment of Trump came from what yeah. he did in Ukraine. So you're asking people to say, well, yeah, I'm kind of angry at that country. And then all of a sudden, Russia, they made it up. You know, do you realize this, that when the president sat shoulder to shoulder with Vladimir Putin, he said, listen, you know, for the most part, he did not do extensive interference in our election. And when you look back, Hillary Clinton launched that whole push of the dossier and financed the whole thing that got uh, all Jake Sullivan and everybody else on all these channels talking about the links and and this crazy Alpha Bank linking in the Trump Tower and the Russian ambassador meeting with Senator Sessions, which he was supposed to do. Next thing you know, Russia goes, you know what, this is getting a little out of control. I don't mind them having some turmoil, but we're getting to blame for things we didn't even do. They come out in Helsinki and Trump does Trump does Trump and goes, yeah, I don't know. I kind of believe him. And I don't really believe my intel agencies. Well, in a lot of cases, the FBI and others in those intel agencies had really turned on him and gave faulty information. So that is one thing. But I just think you have to cleave it off as opposed to one country invaded, unprovoked. And wants to take that in the beginning of taking back the Baltics and everything else. And this administration doesn't explain the mission. They just say, give me money. And that never works for the American people. Yeah, I, 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 I like how you formulated that because, you know, listen, I because I, I, I do think you're right. Like the intelligence agencies have a lot to answer for, especially when it comes to sort of the, the, what, what at least the formers were saying on television about Trump and Russia, and certainly the FBI, as we know, and everybody should read the Durham report, um, has lots to answer for. There needs to be massive reforms. Um, at the same time, I mean, we know that Trump regretted his Helsinki remarks because he put out statements trying to clean it up. He did. And, you know, I think, he, I think it was one of those things where, you know, he didn't realize how it looked and how it sounded in that particular yeah. moment. 
because the Justice Department had just filed indictments of these Russian uh, GRU operatives, and it seemed like he was kind of casting doubt on that. And I don't think there's any reason to doubt some of that, you know, at least what was in the indictment, although it never went to trial. <clears throat> um, but, you know, all that said, I just think that the residue of it, of, of that, has, has distorted our politics in a way. Yes. And that there is, I think, a point to be made here, which is if you're talking to Republicans who are fed up with the FBI and fed up with the double standards yeah. of justice and so forth, I think the point is to sort of say, but, you know, don't give up on the idea that America is a great power Thank and you. it's a great hope for humanity. And that is a that's a, that's Reaganism. That's and it's not zombie Reaganism, as some people would say. That's that's part of our the identity of the American right. It's part of the identity of the Republican Party. And that is how ultimately you're going to get a candidate who can unify enough people to right. win a presidential <laughs> election. So I just hope that you kind of this is a this is a, a phase and the, you right. know, the Republicans will get out of it. I do. And and I just think, too, and you understand this is that our men and women of this generation, the way they adjusted and shaped battlefields, the way they came up with these cutting-edge way to fight wars from uh, putting Hellfire missiles on drones to where they're at today, the way they went into urban fighting and what they did in Ramadi and Fallujah, uh, you see what we did. We The surge worked, and there were problems with the information, and there were problems with the intelligence. I got it, and politics. But you see our fighting force. It's unbelievable. And the way we left Afghanistan should not diminish the way with some of the great things we did there. And it was a political decision, not a military decision that had us leave like that. And that, I think, builds up to I'm not going to back Biden's instincts on anything. Even in this case, I think they're right. So, uh, Eli, yeah. yeah, just final thought. Well, my final thought on that, I mean, I, I, I agree. And I would add one more. The amount of. The small commitment that was made in terms of just special operators training up largely Kurdish and some Arab forces that ultimately succeeded in destroying the ISIS caliphate is um, one of the kind of underappreciated chapters of American military history that I think that future historians will go back to and say that was really a a remarkable kind of campaign. Everybody thought, if you remember in 2016 in the election, ISIS seemed like it was the future in some ways for the Middle East, at least. Right. And by the end of Trump, it was they were gone. Eli, uh, I could talk to you for hours. Uh, check out his podcast. He's a host of Reeducation Podcast. His sources, he gets the information. He just doesn't give opinion. He gets it from an educated source. Uh, Eli, thank you. Oh, thank you, Brian. It's always great to be on the show. All right, great. Back in a moment, Brian Kilmeade Show. It's Brian Kilmeade. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everybody. I I went a little long with Eli, but it's just so fascinating to see. I mean, you think about it. You know, the Russia situation, they're thugs, and Vladimir Putin's the worst. And by the way, just a little note, uh, evidently in the extended press conference, Eric, I don't know if you see this. You always pick this stuff up. Evidently, he didn't put his foot on the ground. One of his feet was in the air. And people think he has some type of Parkinson's and evidently try to push it down. So I do not think this guy is healthy. Uh, number two, what happened with Russia? Yeah, they tried to interfere in an election through, a, I don't know, a million dollars of Facebook ads. They had no impact. Don't let anyone tell you different. But they always, we can go back, they always did it through cyber other means. And then we overcharged Russia. And they knew they had nothing to do with the debate that was going on. 
And Trump looked around and said, you know, you didn't do this, right? He's like, no, I didn't do this. He goes, you know, we don't think you did it either. You know, our people don't think you did it either, but it didn't stop the Russian narrative. And then you figure out what's happened with Ukraine and the problem with Binman and all these other people and the turned on Trump in that area and never should have sent Rudy the way he did around that country. Having said that, there's no way that was impeachment worthy. So Ukraine and Russia, not great for Republicans. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. President Biden has made this uh, problem dramatically worse. If you reference those inflation numbers, the typical family now is earning $5,000 less per year now than they were two and a half years ago. And in 21 of the past 26 months, American families experience a very real pay cut. It's no surprise that as credit card debt soared and American families have put on $3,000 per family in additional credit card debt the past two and a half years, almost dollar for dollar matching the income loss as American families have drained their savings and then gone into debt just to pay the grocery bill and, of course, the very high mortgage payments right now. You know, it's crazy, and I, I, I'm, I'm very open to political spin, but when you come out and talk about the economy and you hear sound bites like that and people talk about that, they said they blame the press for bringing up things, or Fox, for making his economy look bad when it really isn't. I don't know. If the economy looked bad and you were making more money and your interest rates were 3% and your gas was $2.89, didn't matter what I said. You'd go, you know what? I'm not going to tell anybody. I'm going to vote for a Democrat because his policies are making my life better. Inflation is up 3.7%. That's significant. Overall, since Joe Biden took office, 15%. Gas prices are soaring up 10% in August. They're now, on average, $3.85. I said that to somebody who lives in California, and they said, what are you talking about? We're paying $6. So that's on average. Cost of daily goods, a 0.6%. So this is the stuff that you live and die on. So the poverty in America rose 5% in just one year, from 21 to 22. Jared Bernstein was on his spin machine, cut 12. In terms of the trend in inflation, I think we probably have a disagreement there as well. Uh, The trend in the uh, PCE, the trend in the CPI, whether you look at headline or core, and in fact, well, it's not here anymore, but that graph that was just there showed a very clear trend in the year-over-year CPI. If you take the more timely, Mm. say, uh, uh, three-month annualized average, uh, then you see uh, an even clearer uh, result. Uh, Inflation is easing. It continues to ease. So Jared Bernstein's one of the best they have, but he's not working with much, but he is a good communicator and he's affable, approachable, and he was doing it out with Ed Lawrence, cut 13. Gas prices are a large part of the increase we saw in the CPI. Then why is the president then restricting uh, future growth of the oil industry? Uh, He made the decision in or the interior department made the decision in Alaska just last week. Well, there are, uh, American American oil production now is at an all-time high, uh, just below 13 million barrels a day. Uh, there are thousands of uh, available permits, places where oil companies could drill. They've been highly profitable. They've been highly productive. So um, I don't think that's the problem. Really? When you send a 
and I learned this. I didn't grow up in the oil business, but did a great feature, I thought, 45-minute feature on uh, Fox Nation on the history of oil and where we're at. And after talking to people about the oil business, you deal with projections. And if you know you're drilling in Anwar or throughout Alaska, you see the potential and you say, okay, I'm going to go invest in that company. And you got to go raise money to drill there. So Trump put that in his tax reform. He arbitrarily, through an executive order, stops it. The people of Alaska want it. The American people want cheap gas. People on his left don't want it. And that's what he cares about. I care about the country. So you want the whole country to go electric, carbon neutral. But you don't want to mine our rare earth, which we have a lot. Eric, what did you just say? Uh, sent me this week about a huge discovery uh, about rare earth minerals in our country. Right. So it's a old um, extinct volcano. I believe it's on the border of Oregon and Idaho. They found the largest natural lithium deposit, which could supply the world for decades and allow us to cut out China completely from the lithium market. Will we be able to mine? I'm reading that story. Do you think we're going to go ahead it's, and mine it? it it's scheduled to start mining in 2026. I guess they're getting everything together now, but I guess that remains to be seen whether or not they cancel. Because it. you could mine rare earth in Minnesota too, right? Right. And I was reading the you know one of the issues with with lithium is that we haven't really spent a lot of time looking for it yet. So there's a lot of supposition that if we just look for it, we'll find a lot here at home. So that would be if I want electric cars, that's would be I would be talking about. Absolutely. Right. So instead, you're telling people I don't want to drill. But I don't want to deal with foreign uh, powers in order to get it. Well, he, Saudi Arabia decided, you know, your villainous nation. They decided they got to cut production. And so did this other nation. Mm, I forgot the name. Russia. So they are going to stop. So they're going to cut off. So that's going to affect everything. What kind of foreign policy is this? Look out for your own agenda. So here's more of the sparring. Cut 14. We now have two inflation ports in a row where year over year the headline inflation number has gone up. You couple that with um, real average hourly wages are actually down since the day President Biden took office about 3 percent. So is that Bidenomics? Yeah, no, I, I, I think we have a disagreement on a fact there. So and, and we can certainly uh, show you uh, CEA's data on this. Uh, real wages uh, are up relative to before the pandemic. Um, they're up for all private sector workers, and uh, you know those wages are actually uh, above the pre-pandemic level in real terms. So we just have a factual uh, disagreement there. Uh-huh. Look, I appreciate the fact that he didn't. He communicates. He took Ed Lawrence's questions, and Ed Lawrence is well researched. They got numbers. You know, economic guys go at each other. People go at each other with numbers. I have a disagreement with numbers. What you need is the follow-up to say, what numbers do you disagree with? Because these are hard numbers. And I guess you could flip them and emphasize them differently. But I get, bring you back to what the people think. Here's the question. Biden's handling of the economy. It's not really a tricky question, is it? 60% of you listening right now disapprove. Is that because too many people listen to Fox? Most worrisome economic issue. the price of gas and consumer goods. Can you honestly say that he is not responsible for oil and gas production? The fact that nobody will invest in a refinery because they know if they invest in a refinery, 
that it is not a good investment if the people in charge of oil and gas are going to keep restricting oil fields. And there's been conversions of refineries. Evidently, there is uh, in the Caribbean, we have a refinery that could be fired up. We don't want to use it. So when you pay four twenty five for gas, okay, that's that's you know where you know that's where it is. No, it doesn't have to be that. It's policies of the people you put in power that allow for that. Thirty four percent cost of housing or rent. Look, everybody says the only move the Fed has is to raise rates to tame the economy. We're now at seven percent. That affects everything. So when you cost of housing. That means the house I'm in, I wanted to downgrade. No one will take my house because rent's so high, the mortgage will be so high, and I'm going to have to adjust the price so nobody moves. 9%, the stock market, that's always tough. 4%, their job situation. What the president's been hanging his hat on is the job situation. The president's been saying, look at the jobs. Well, Mr. President, you're right. Historic unemployment. And we'll take a look at how that happens because we also doubled the deficit at the same time. Usually when you have virtual full employment, you don't need to double the deficit because there's so much production. But we have committed so much in all these programs, the rescue package, the infrastructure package, the Inflation Reduction Act, which he told us was wrongly named. The money is flowing in to such a rate that we've doubled the deficit by a trillion dollars. Are you kidding me? So that affects everything, and wages aren't reflecting how much money is there. And here is President Biden today. President Biden will be out and about, and he's going to have a speech, and he's going to be in McLean, Virginia, and he let us know what it's going to be about. And here's the quote that he tweeted out. I'm going to lay out my Bidenomics. It's working. It's working. The MAGA Republicans, the MAGAnomics, the alternative they have, I'm not joking, what academic plan, boy, have they offered. Mrs. President... I got news for you. You don't really need a formal plan. The guy leading for the nomination has a four-year report card, and he wants you to read it. And most people know the pandemic year, six months, eight months, it's pretty much an anomaly. It was a pandemic, the worst in a generation and a half. And everybody, the president, whatever he asked for, Congress gave him more because they wanted to quickly tell everyone not to work and to get, then get them money. And now we just found out there was $134 billion worth of fraudulent claims. Do you believe that? And some of it came from outside our country. So, you know, Trump will give you an economic package and say, this is what I'll do. But most people know already. When we come back, I'll take your calls. I also have a ton of emails I'm going to get through. You're not going to believe what Nancy Pelosi said and didn't say about Kamala Harris. I'll play it for you. Brian Kilmeade Show. Expanding your knowledge base. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Is Vice President Kamala Harris the best running mate for this president? He thinks so, and that's what matters. And by the way, she's very politically astute. I don't think people give her enough credit. People shouldn't underestimate what Kamala Harris brings to the table. Do you think she is the the best running mate, though? She's the vice president of the United States. So people say to me, well, why isn't she doing this or that? I said, because she's the vice president. That's the job description. 
You don't do that much. Oh, my. Every time I hear it, I'm more astounded. You have to see Anderson Cooper's face. He's like, I just gave you the easiest question in the world three times, and you didn't answer it. And you know why? She wants her out. She wants Kamala Harris out. And the vice president does a lot. You tell Dick Cheney the vice president doesn't do much. Tell Al Gore the vice president doesn't do much. Mike Pence was in charge of the COVID response. Mike Pence ran interference and defined what the president really meant and every legislative project. Mike Pence went to North Korea. Uh, I mean, my goodness, are you crazy? That is the most insincere answer. But what she did on the day of Dave Ignatius' release of the Washington Post story saying Joe should not run again, the former speaker, the most powerful Democrat, top five anyway, saying vice president, well, don't really know. Yeah, she's vice president. So the analogy I used is imagine someone coming up to you and go, what do you think of my wife? You think she's hot? And they're going, you think she is. <laughs> so, oh my goodness. Before I get to the phones, just some of your email. Uh, Quincy writes, uh, Quincy Smith writes, uh, talking about Ukraine, Alexander Vindman set in the set in the U.S. embassy in Ukraine. He sat there listen, listening in on phone calls between us and Ukraine, meaning Trump. Did he ever listen in on Biden's calls? Hmm, good question. Teresa writes this. Enjoy uh, watching you during the week on Fox and Friends and One Nation on Saturdays. Uh, going to continue on Saturdays? Question mark. Since Mark Levin has taken over the APM slot, yes, I'll be on at nine o'clock. So I think it's great. Thank you so much. And my last email is this. Uh, Don writes me. Don Pagano writes uh, Biden's age. Please don't make his age the reason for not electing this traitor. Stress his failed policies. Love your show. And Dan, you know who agrees with you? Or Don? Yeah, Dan. I'm sorry. Uh, Dan, you know who agrees with you? President Trump. He sat down with Megyn Kelly and he said, stop bringing up his age. He's just incompetent. Good. Chris, listen on WDBO in Orlando. Hey, Chris. Hey, Brian. Two quick points. Um, it's funny to listen to the Biden administration talk about and taunt Bidenomics when they're the ones who originally told us inflation was transitory. The second quick thing is, you know, I think we underestimate what illegal immigration and asylum seekers has done to the demand in our economy. It's increased it so significantly. Why he's simultaneously cut back in, in our energy production. Uh, if you look at just housing and rental housing alone, these individuals need places to live. Yeah. You know? <clears throat> it's unbelievable. You know what someone should talk, of, talk about? Corporate housing. Chris, these corporations, Blackstone, they are actually buying up working class homes, single, single family homes, two, bed, two bedroom homes, and they're getting them standard, you know, fixing them up, and then jacking up the price. And they own huge lots and swaths, making it almost impossible to buy but only to rent. I don't, I don't want corporations deciding who's in my neighborhood. Are you kidding me? You should speak up about that because that's who you're competing with when you put a bid in on a house. These guys got endless type of resources. Uh, thanks so much for the call. John writes this. Uh, he writes, it is common now to hear conservative experts rail on the awful conduct of Democrats for the past eight years. The phony dossier, rule changes before the 2020 vote, uh, the FBI trickery, and the biased reporting by the media and those other key topics. And those are perhaps 20 other things. Yet, after all the condemnation, these conservative experts still cling to a position that the election in 2020 was free and fair. Here's the problem. The things that did take place, the plethora of drop boxes. 
those states that uh, loosened up their no-excuse ballot initiatives, the drive-through balloting, that stuff was on the books. The Zuckerbucks into key districts, the suppression of Facebook, Twitter, and all social media, the destroying of the laptop story. That, to me, is out there. The other stuff about ballots disappearing, ballots not here, double ballots, people vote. I don't, I can't, I don't have any proof of that. And all Trump's lawyers could not prove that. So the average person just believes what they believe, but they don't know. But the other things that took place that pushed Trump to lose by maybe cumulatively 40,000 votes, if there was no suppression, the vote would have been different. If the laptop was out there, you got to figure 5% of the people go, yeah, I don't want a guy compromised like this uh, running the White House. Maybe Trump, maybe Obama was right. Never underestimate the power of Joe Biden to F things up. So Bidenomics is what he's running on, believe it or not. Here's Larry Kudlow, Cut 15. One definition of Bidenomics is the goal <clears throat> of destroying fossil fuels including gas-powered cars. So while OPEC Plus, which includes Iran, Venezuela, Russia, Saudis, while they extend their production cuts, Bidenomics has frozen drilling in large parts of Alaska and the Gulf of Mexico. The rig count is way down. In other words, future production cuts from Biden match the current production cuts of our OPEC adversary. So world oil prices now back to $92 a barrel and AAA national gasoline is back to $3.85. Now when Joe Bidenomics was inaugurated, world oil prices were $54 a barrel and gasoline was $2.39. You do the math. Larry, you did the math and you're 100% right. And you know what? He's not just reporting on the Trump years. He was the Trump years. And after going into that administration when it didn't work out with the previous guy, he really steadied the ship. He had the respect of Trump. They are in great, uh, they're in great form right now. Larry Kudlow, I hope, would not go back if Trump wins again, but really understands the numbers. Think about this. You built an economy. It was soaring. I know the debt was a little high, but it was going to balance out much uh, with the tax reform kicking in over a course of a couple of years. And then you have to undo it all with the pandemic. It must have been brutal. But it was brutal for us. Now we're paying the price. Then we didn't really feel it. Now we're feeling it. Brian Kilmichael, don't forget, One Nation coming up Saturday, 9 o'clock. Don't move. Fox News headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest minutes of the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. We're going to be joined by one of the most positive people in the country, Arthur Brooks, author of a brand new book with Oprah, Build the Life You Want, The Art and Science of Getting Happier. And also Congressman Mike Lawler. If you want to talk about impeachment and the risks, well, look at Mike Lawler. He, he won in, in a big upset in a purple district in New York, a very blue state. And if he goes out and gets involved heavily in impeachment, I don't know, uh, Congressman Gates style, Matt Gates style, is that going to be a turnoff? Could he lose the seat? We'll discuss it. Let's get to the big three. 
Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. What you see Republicans uh, in Congress, right, they have uh, spent all year investigating the president and uh, have turned up with no evidence, none, that he did anything wrong. Wow. She sleep at night. Uh, KJP, a new impeachment period is upon us. All eyes on Comer, all eyes on Jordan, Hunter, and ultimately Joe. Is the inquiry worth the political risks? Number two. In terms of the trend in inflation, I think we probably have a disagreement there as well. If you take the more timely, say, three-month analyzed average, uh, then you see uh, an even clearer uh, result. Uh, Inflation is easing. It continues Mm. to ease. Really? All right, Jared Bernstein, nice try. Bidenomics, something to run on, or I ask you, run from. The numbers are, in reality say it just ain't working. It's up to you to weigh in at the ballot box, perhaps. Number one. This combination of Joe Biden at the top of the ticket, people feel uneasy about somebody who's 82 serving another four-year term. Time is running out. In another month, this, this it's going to be too late to have this conversation. Huh. Dave Ignatius of the Washington Post. Joe, go. Biden is used used to the attacks on the right. He gets them all the time, deservingly. Now they're coming from his left. We look at 2024. Congressman Mike Lowell joins us now. And Mike Lowell, are you, you were told you were not one of those MAGA Republicans when you met President Biden. Are you surprised the president is getting pressure from the left not to run? No, not at all. Uh, You know, I think obviously anytime you're talking about uh, somebody who's over the age of 80, there's uh, legitimate concerns that have been raised with respect to to health and uh, their ability uh, to fulfill, you know, the full term. And I think obviously, you know, you see what's happening with Dianne Feinstein. You see some of the situation uh, with with, uh, Mitch McConnell. And so I think it's uh, rational that there's going to be that that concern. Uh, and the reality is his policies have been terrible. Uh, and I think, you know, the American people have suffered under a, a really bad economy uh, as a result of his reckless out-of-control spending uh, and, you know, the impact that that has had on inflation uh, and the cost of goods and uh, groceries, uh, a housing market with, you know, interest rates through the roof. So uh, I, I think, you know, the Democrats are certainly right, rightfully concerned uh, about his ability as as a candidate. And right. given the fact that, you know, he spent the 2020 campaign uh, operating out of his basement, um, you know, it's not going to be the same uh, campaign this time around. He's going to have to get out there. And so right. clearly, clearly they're concerned about that. So, uh, Mike Lola, you're in New York. Yep. The Biden administration officially shifts the blame from the New York City migrant crisis onto Mayor Eric Adams, because he says there's no exit strategy for the illegal aliens that he allowed to come here. I mean, as much as you want to blame Mayor Adams, what is he talking about? How are we supposed to have an exit strategy when they shouldn't work and they aren't working? When they come here illegally, they be dumped at a depot. We've already converted over 200 hotels in various tent cities. What are they talking about? As I said the other day on Sid Rosenberg's show, this is like an episode of the Three Stooges between Biden, Hochul, and Adams. Uh, None of them know how to deal with this. And, you know, before we get into, you know, what Governor Abbott and and Governor DeSantis did, Joe Biden was flying migrants to New York last year. I know. 
and, and dispersing them all over the state and the region. So the Biden administration, long before you know Governor Abbott and DeSantis were sending migrants to New York, the Biden administration was doing it. But this is what happens when you have really bad policies, open borders, sanctuary cities in New York and New York State being a sanctuary state, uh, refusal to cooperate with ICE and taking taxpayer money to pay for housing, health care, education. It's crazy. This, this is what happens. You invite people to come. And, and mind you, I've said this before. My wife's an immigrant. This is not about being against immigration. It's not about being against immigrants who want to come here in search of a better life and economic opportunity uh, and to give their children opportunity. Of course we want that. We welcome that. But there has to be a process. And this is insanity. You have over nearly 6 million migrants have come through our southern border, most of them illegally, since Joe Biden took office. Eric Adams is dealing with over 100,000 migrants in just the last year plus who have come to New York. They have nowhere to house them. They, they cannot handle the influx. The school systems are being overwhelmed. The shelter system is overwhelmed. We're, we're, we're spending upwards of $12 billion in New York to deal with this crisis. The governor has no idea what she's doing, uh, and it's just incompetence all around. You have to secure the border. You have to stop this influx where it is happening, and they refuse to do that. And Chuck Schumer, the Senate majority leader, has been absolutely dead silent on this. This is a man who holds a Sunday press conference every week. One would think, given the crisis in New yep. York, that he would actually spend one Sunday and focus on this. What about Hakeem Jeffries? Another one, totally, totally silent, because they know that they own this and that this will have consequences electorally next year, uh, much like cashless bail, uh, another train wreck of, of a policy, uh, and they don't know how to handle it. Because the reality is, if you, if you wanted to fix this problem, we could. You increase border personnel, you put more physical barriers at the border, you increase court personnel to hear these asylum cases in an expeditious manner, and you don't release people across the country. The idea that we're just going to increase work authorization uh, you know, time periods from 150 days to 30 days, and somehow that's going to solve the problem here, is laughable. So the other big story this week is what Kevin McCarthy decided. He wants to do a impeachment inquiry to get to the bottom of Joe's role with Hunter in their international business dealings, which at first we learned, uh, we were told that Joe had nothing to do with it, no idea about it. And then we already knew about it, but didn't do anything. Then we find out he's going to dinner with them, calling into these meetings. So they're, they're learning a lot. Here's what Kevin McCarthy said is the reason why he's doing this cut 19. The money that he got for Hunter Biden being on the board, he never declared it. But what did the Biden administration do, the DOJ? They let the statute of limitations run out with the IRS, which the IRS would never allow you to do. You know, remember why Hunter Biden, what he told why he's on that board? He said he had no experience. He was there because it was part of the Biden brand. You know, you can tell exactly what's happening at the White House. The Bidens have given the marching orders to the media. They know that they do not want to provide the information to the American people. And the American people deserve it. That is exactly why I did impeachment inquiry. Are you for this? 
Look, I've supported the investigations uh, from the beginning. Uh, Jim Jordan and James Comer, uh, through their committees, the House Judiciary and House Oversight, uh, along with Jason Smith and the Ways and Means Committee, have been conducting investigations for eight months. Uh, and so these investigations are continuing forward. The Speaker made the decision to uh, raise it to the level of an impeachment inquiry. Uh, the reality is it, it's it's no different than it was just a few days ago. The issue ultimately is whether or not you can get these bank records to show whether or not President Biden uh, benefited in any way, either directly or indirectly, uh, from these business deals. Uh, what is abundantly clear is that these investigations have produced significant and damaging information uh, with respect to these uh, 20 shell companies that were set up uh, to transfer nearly $20 million from Russian oligarchs, Ukrainian oligarchs, uh, Romanian business folks, and the Chinese, uh, and to evade taxes. Uh, and so the question ultimately to me, uh, you know, separate and apart from Hunter Biden's criminal liability, uh, is whether or not the president uh, was involved. It's clear, uh, based on whistleblower testimony uh, and testimony from uh, Hunter Biden's uh, former business partner, uh, that at a minimum, uh, the, the former vice president, then vice president, uh, was engaged in conversation. Um, what that rises to, obviously, uh, is still to be determined. And I think you know, the investigation is continuing. Uh, this is a continuation of the investigations that have been ongoing for eight months. Uh, by the way, none of this ever would have come out uh, had House Republicans not taken the majority. <clears throat> and it's districts like mine uh, that ultimately gave us the majority. And so, you know, I think people need to, to frankly, calm down a bit, allow the process to play itself out. Uh, impeachment uh, should not be political as it was uh, under Nancy Pelosi. It should be. It should not be used as a tit for tat. Uh, I've said, and I and I mean it. We're not there yet uh, on impeachment, uh, and I think people need to allow this process to play itself out. Let the facts and the evidence right. uh, determine what, if any, next steps there are. Congressman uh, uh, Mike Lowen, my guest. Congressman, what's happening. I under, I understand. How many more uh, of the unofficially? Republicans feel like you feel? Uh, a lot more than I think are, are willing to say publicly, uh, frankly. But uh, the, the bottom line here is this. We, we are a nation of laws. Uh, nobody is above the law. There needs to be accountability and transparency. That's why you have uh, oversight responsibility for Congress. Uh, there's certainly been damaging information and evidence that has come out. Mm -hmm. uh, that requires mm -hmm. further investigation. And so that is what is happening. And the well, fact I'll, I'll give an example to back at uh, this backs up what you're saying. Here's a question from Queen of Piac. They put this out yesterday. Do you think Joe Biden was involved with his son's business dealings? 51% say yes. 37% say no. I, I think it was 5% in 2020. And that's right. what the facts have done over the last eight months. So I, I understand where well, you're coming even, from. And by, the, and by the way, even Jake Tapper uh, on CNN uh, just a few weeks ago played a clip of the president in the debate in 2020 where he said that Hunter Biden never got any money from China. That was a lie. That was a lie. And, and even Jake Tapper said it. And so, the, you know, we've obviously uncovered a lot of information through this investigatory process. 
but people need to allow that process to play itself out. But and you, you're talking uh, to your own caucus, Congressman. You got to talk to Matt Gates. You got to talk to Marjorie Taylor Greene. So not necessarily my audience. So do you, when you see these people from conservative districts, do they understand where you're serving? No, they don't have the first clue. And, and, and the reality is uh, they don't care, to be honest. Um, you know, they, they, they'd rather just throw bombs and uh, cause havoc. Uh, you know, Matt Gates uh, is, is acted in such an irrational manner talking about, you know, motions to vacate and trying to remove the speaker. By the way, you, uh, if successful with a motion to vacate, guess what happens? All these investigations, they grind to a halt. Uh, so the stupidity here uh, on the part of some of my colleagues, uh, frankly, is, is mind-numbing. Uh, but at the end of the day, um, you know, I have a responsibility uh, to, to right. act in the best interests of my district, uh, to be sober and serious in dealing with these issues. Uh, and you have to allow the process to play out. The very people who are uh, decrying the weaponization of the Department of Justice and the FBI now want Congress to do the exact same thing. And it doesn't work like that. We nope. have to yeah. have I a process. You. I want to hear what James Carville said, cut 27. The people they have leading it are not very smart. In, in fact, they're borderline stupid. I mean, James Comer or, or Jim Jordan, I, I don't think the White House needs to worry too much about this and let these congressional Democrats who are a whip smart of just going to eat these people alive. I, 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 I so want them to, to do this. I, I can't tell you how much I want them. He believes he believes the impeachment in his own crass way would save his party. Well, listen, you go back to Bill Clinton, uh, you know, look at Donald Trump prior to COVID um, impeachment generally uh, does not play out well. Um, the American people ultimately are going to decide here. And if the facts and the evidence bear out that Joe Biden was involved and benefited from directly or indirectly uh, his son's business deals, the American people will understand that very succinctly. And the ballot box uh, will be the, 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 the and judge that, and, that, and the ballot box will ultimately determine the outcome here. Gotcha. Um, and, and I think it's not to say that, you know, we can't get to a point where where impeachment comes up but it's just you're not you there yet be, you it. have to we're not there yet and and ultimately the reality is if the facts are there Got uh, it. then it's going to be very clear for people to understand and also it should be clear to everyone uh that jim jordan and james comer anything but stupid you might not like them they might be too conservative for you but they're extremely smart no, uh, so uh, i'm just i just want our james be- carville's insults uh were way out of bounds to be very, uh, to be very frank, both of them uh, have, you know, done their jobs very seriously. Uh, they have, uh, you know, been above board in a- asking questions, demanding answers, yep. uh, and laying out the facts to the American people. He is uh, New York Congressman Mike Lawler. Uh, he's over in the 17th district. Congressman, best of luck in re-election. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it, Brian. Back in a moment. Newsmakers and newsbreakers. Hear it first on the Brian Kilmeade Show. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. This is not a payment of any kind. It's not ransom. These aren't U.S. taxpayer dollars. And we haven't lifted a single one 
of our sanctions on Iran. As you've heard us say before, when we're trying to bring Americans home, we often aren't dealing on a level playing field. We have to use the leverage we have to bring them home. They aren't going to be released for nothing in exchange. So this is another sorry swap of five of our guys for six of theirs and a cost of $6 billion of frozen funds. And what bothers me most is they actually expect the American people to believe that these Iranians are only going to use this money for humanitarian purposes. That's nuts. Here's their former president. Their, uh, excuse me. Yeah, former um, Iranian president, cut 28. Do you believe you have the right to use that money in any way that you see fit? This money belongs to the Islamic Republic of Iran, and naturally, we will decide, the Islamic Republic of Iran will decide to, to spend it wherever uh, we need it. So, Admiral Kirby, you know better. You know they're going to go to Qatar, and they're going to say... Here's my invoice. I wrote it in crayon. I'm going to use this for MREs for our poor people. And they're going to use this to foment terror in the region. Everybody knows this. What's crazy is everybody in the region knows we know this. The American people know better. Back in a moment. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. It was during the pandemic, and, you know, I didn't leave home for 322 days. And so I was reading The Atlantic and reading his column and being inspired and fortified by every week, every Thursday, there was another drop and uh, had a conversation with him. And afterwards, I thought, wow. This is the kind of guy that if I was still doing the show, we would be calling him every day yeah. hmm. to be an expert on every subject. Then I invited him over for dinner. Best dinner guest ever. How bad. Because you can probe his brain <laughs> on yeah. happiness. And I thought, you know, we should do something together. And so now we are. Wow. And that, just like that, Arthur Brooks has got a brand new book out with this woman named, how do you say the last name? Winfrey? Oprah Winfrey. <laughs> it's called Build the Life You Want. Uh, the Art and Science of Getting Happier. Uh, Arthur, congratulations on the book. Thanks, Brian. Great to see you again. Great to see you. I yeah. mean, you have not slowed down. You're doing a million things. Is that That's what she wrote about. Uh, that's what you just told me happened. But she also wrote about that in the book. If I had my show, Arthur Brooks would be on every week. Yeah. In, when she, in 25 years, one of the things that she did was she'd find people that she thought America needed to hear from. Scientists, you know, all kinds of different people that could improve your life using different ideas. And she would have them on again and again and again to answer different kinds of questions, but she doesn't have a show anymore. So now when she finds something that she thinks is good for America, she'll introduce it in different ways. And that, that was the genesis of this project. She read my stuff. She gave me a call. She and said, you wrote a book about happiness. You teach a course about happiness. Yes, I teach happiness at people. I teach at the Harvard Business School, you know, and, and people say, oh, yeah, marketing, finance, accounting. And I say, no, I teach happiness. And they think I'm lying. But I'm not. It is a very oversubscribed <clears throat> class. It's about the science of happiness. In other words, how you can take your happiness as seriously as you right. take your finances. And that's what this book is about. So you decide to take it to another level. For example, how do you define happy? Happiness is generally, for my students and everybody else, they, the biggest problem they have is they don't understand what it is. They think it's feelings, and it's not. Feelings are evidence of happiness. Happiness is 
it's kind of like uh, you think about food, which has three macronutrients, protein, carbohydrates, and fat. Happiness has three parts to it that you need to have in balance and abundance, enjoyment, satisfaction, and purpose. Those are the three things. When I meet somebody for the first time at this point, look, I've been doing this work for years and years and years. I can tell where their deficits are in the same way that I can look at your macronutrient profile and say, Brian, man, you got to get your protein up. I can tell people, I can ask them very simple questions to see if they have enough purpose in their life, enough meaning. I can ask them about how they're trying to get satisfaction if they're in the wrong vein. And the biggest thing that I hear, especially from young people, people in their 20s, they think they're trying to enjoy their life and they're actually in pursuit of pleasure. And pleasure and enjoyment are not the same thing. And so I can readjust their happiness diet. And, and that's what we talk about in the book is you, you can get happier if you have the knowledge and do the work. The biggest, the biggest, um, excuse me, the biggest problem is purpose. Yeah. And that's what happened in the pandemic. People said, wait, I could go home. They'll pay me. And maybe my job is not that important. You know, do I really want to be doing this? Right. You know, uh, and people have a lack of purpose and mission. They, they do. And, and one of the problems in America, we find that happiness has been in gradual decline for actually a long time, since the early 1990s. And, and one of the biggest reasons is that people feel like they have less meaning in their lives. Now, the, the institutions of meaning in our lives are pretty easy. Our faith, our family, our real friendships, not deal friends, real friends, and, and, and serving other people through our work. But all these things are in decline. People are less likely to practice their faith. They're more likely to be estranged from their families. They have people that are useful to them, but they're not real friends anymore. And people, they think, you know, what's my work for? I don't know. I just earn my daily right. bread. And these are huge problems. So I actually have a little test that we can actually give the audience. Okay. I can give you this test. Want to, want to take the meaning well, test? Let's do it. Okay. You, you, you need, I'm going to ask you two questions. And you have a meaning problem if you don't have real answers to these questions. But the good news is if you don't, then you know what to look for. Okay. okay. Question number one, why are you alive? Why am I alive? I, that's a good, I think it's a nonstop mission to find out yeah. your role here. Yeah. And, and it's tricky, right? Right. Right. It gets harder. Right. Second question, for what would you be willing to die today, Brian? For what? I would say a family, country. Yeah. <clears throat> now, I know people I would, are listening to I, this. I would, I would be willing to die. I mean, in a circumstance, if there was a, like a baby in the middle of a street, would I jump in front of the car yeah. and throw the kid out? I'd like to think yes. Yeah. But you think about it. It's, it's very important to have these questions front and center for a true sense of meaning. My, I have three adult kids. Uh, we, we have kids. We're, I mean, you're, you're a little younger than me, but, but we have uh, grown up kids. I got 22, uh, 20, 22, and 26. Yeah, I have 25, 23, and 20 are my kids. My 25 and 23-year-olds are both married. I'm a grandfather. Wow. Yeah, no, it's unbelievable. But my 23-year-old who's married, when he was in high school, he right. didn't have answers to those questions. I would ask him the question, he did, I, I don't know why I'm alive. I'm dad, I don't know why I'm alive. He was miserable. So he, we, we put him on a mission. He didn't go to college. He, he went and worked on a dryland wheat farm in Idaho to find the answers to the questions. And then he joined the Marines. Wow. He went through infantry training battalion. And then he went through the in-dock for the scout sniper program. He's a special ops Marine. And now I ask him those questions. 23-year-old married. His name is Carlos. Carlos, why are you alive? Because God made me to serve. For what are you willing to die? For my faith? For my family? For my fellow Marines, and for the United States of America. Right. Boom. I mean, it's like an immediate answer. And the result, he's happy. And and as soon as he had those answers, he he married the woman he loved. And I said, you realize that you're going to be wearing that ring in your coffin, right? He's like, of course, of course. 
He's faithful to it. But this is super important that we have. And, and America is losing its sense of meaning because we don't have those answers. You know, was key. he found out for himself. He didn't wait for his dad to tell him. Totally. And, and it, it wouldn't matter what I told him because I have my answers to those questions. Everybody, everybody listening to us has to have their answers to those questions. That's the material that Oprah and I put in this book. It's a very practical way to use the science to find the happiness that we all seek. So a lot of people, you say you find a lot of those answers in religion. A lot, and, and, and not just religion, but it's faith writ large. Now, I have my faith. I'm a Roman Catholic. It's literally the most important thing in my life. I practice my Has faith. Has it always been? And, well, you know, in my 20s, I was a slacker. But I, I grew up in a Christian family, and, and now, you know, I'm in my 50s. I go to Mass every day. I pray with my wife every, wow. day, every night. And part of the reason is because <clears throat> this is the way that you maintain a good marriage. The right. most intimate thing that you can do with your spouse, and I'm not going to say a bad thing, is to pray together. That's the literally the most intimate thing. What makes you think that? Because I actually see the data on that, and I see that that's what people are most embarrassed to do with their beloved pe- the people around them. Not every couple. Some people are going like, what? It's the easiest thing ever. No, I know lots of Christian couples and couples of other religions that don't pray together because it feels too weird. So this, if you want to have a more intimate relationship, that's it. But if you practice something in faith or spirituality or philosophy or a sense of life's transcendence and mysticism that's not traditional religion, you can get a lot of the same benefit because it makes you small and the rest of the universe big, and you need that perspective. So if you want to take the time to get a mission with your life, are you blowing up your importance too much? Well, no, it actually isn't because you're looking for the things outside you that you're dedicating yourself to. What I recommend that and what Oprah and I recommend in this book is that everybody write their own personal mission statement, which is really important. For me, you know, I, I use science and ideas to lift people up and bring them together in bonds of happiness and love. And, you know, I have a company and I teach at the university and I have a lot of stuff going on, but it has an order of operations based on my mission. Everything I do has to follow this order. Glorify God, serve others, have an adventure, make a living. In that order, right. making, making a living is last. It's a very privileged thing, I realize. But it's super important that we keep these ideas together. And all of that stuff has to do with things outside me. And so when you look for your personal mission, you're looking for the things outside you that complete you. You're not just looking in the mirror. Well, how, did, how long did it take you to get that criteria? Uh, well, it took me a long time. I've been studying happiness for 30 years. I mean, I, I got my PhD in 1998, and I was dedicating myself to a lot of things that were around happiness. I wrote my first big happiness book in 2008, but it took me a long time to figure out how to use it in my life. You know, I was the president of the American Enterprise Institute before, a think tank in Washington, D.C. That's where you and I met, you know, when I was doing that work. And, and you know, I would think, uh, why am I not happy? Why am I not happy? And finally, my wife said, don't you have a PhD I mean, don't you study human behavior? Why don't you apply it to yourself? So I started using the happiness science to create right. a strategy for myself, and it worked so unbelievably well that I left my job. I went to teach it. But I you started, had a very important job. That was a, It was a great a, job. Yeah. It was a great job. I truly believe in it. The American Enterprise Institute dedicated to bringing the free enterprise system to people at every part of our society so they can have opportunity. I loved it. It was so good. But for my own life, I needed to share these ideas of the science of happiness with other people. That's That was my life's work. And, and I didn't figure that out until I actually applied the theories to good old me. And that's what we're doing in the book is everybody can have this information that I share with my students at Harvard. So what year did you leave AEI? 2019. So were you not happy leading up to that? Did you have moments where you were happy? 
I, for sure, like we all do. Life is a series of moments, and we have to understand that happiness is not the ultimate goal because you can't be constantly happy this side of heaven. You need <clears> bad <throat> feelings. You need negative emotions. They keep literally keep you alive. You need negative experience to learn and grow, but you can get happier with the right information. So the word happy is almost misdefined because you always hear this with sports. You know, let the kids play yeah. if they're happy. If it's not fun, don't yeah. do it. But part of fun and happiness is having a mission. Yeah. And as you do that, you're going to win, you're going to lose. Why are you doing it? Do you know you're upset because I, you know, I lost today, but I'm, I can't wait to get back and do it again. Are you pursuing happiness? Yeah. Yeah. I'm pursuing yeah. it. Do you think that Thomas Jefferson knew the definition when he put it in the Declaration of Independence? He was talking about how we would actually pursue a life fully alive on our own terms. That's really what he meant. And so when, when Thomas Jefferson talked about, he actually, was taking that he almost certainly took was taking dictation from Benjamin Franklin. That was a Benjamin Franklin idea, the pursuit of happiness. And what that really was was he did a lot of dictation. Yeah, yeah, I know. He he kind of cribbed most of the the most of the the the, yeah. the, the declaration from <clears throat> Virginia Declaration of Rights. And that part about happiness he was probably listening to Thomas to Benjamin Franklin. And what they were talking about was to democratize the idea that you could set up your life as you see fit and you could pursue it, even if you're riffraff which is like the Kilmeads and the Brookses were not like some landed gentry. They were not like on the boat coming over going, hey, can't wait to get a better country of more plentiful income redistribution. No, it was better in Ireland. Right. (laughs) The Kilmeads, right? And and so – but this is the thing. And what they were promising was you get here, play by the rules, work hard, personal responsibility, figure out what happiness means for you, man, and this is the place where you can pursue it. And that's what we all still need to do. It's such a beautiful thing when we understand it. When you talk to your elite students to get yeah. in there, you would assume, unless someone make, made up a sports scholarship that they didn't have, uh, do they, are they curious, as curious as this? Do, do you find that kids who have a lot, most likely either huge brains or big wallets, or uh, both. Are they more yeah, – or both. Are they more apt to understand this? No. No, no, no. It's because this stuff doesn't come naturally. Mother Nature doesn't care if we're happy. Mother Nature has two goals for us, to survive and pass on your genes. We always think, oh, yeah, you know, if it feels good, do it. Like the hippies used to say at Woodstock. That's, compl- that's the way to ruin your life. My dad, I remember hearing that from hippies saying that when I was a little kid. He's like, that's the end of America. <laughs> right. He was kind of right. I mean it was – I mean really? The truth of the matter is that you need to actually take the divine path, not the animal path in your life. You need to understand what's going on. You need to create a structure for your life. Look, your life is the only startup that really matters. You, Inc., and you need right. to be the entrepreneur, and you got to do hard things and easy things and beautiful things and fun things and things that actually create pain, and then you'll be on the path to happierness. So Arthur Brooks is in studio. He wrote a book with Oprah Winfrey. It's called Build a Life You Want, The Art and Science of Getting Happier. More with Arthur in just a moment. The book's out this week, right? Uh, last Tuesday. It's Yeah, it's right. It's, 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 it's on up. sale, man. Yeah. I'm, I'm pretty sure this is built to win. <laughs> We're hoping so. I mean, it's doing, it's doing unbelievably well. Back in a moment. Learning something new every day on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. You don't have any happiness uh, sound bites, Eric, to bump in with? You don't? Okay. 
Uh, we are back. Uh, Arthur Brooks is here. He and Oprah Winfrey wrote this book. It's number one in the country, right? Yeah, right now and it is, yeah. It's called uh, Build the Life You Want, uh, The Art and Science of Getting Happier. During the pandemic, Oprah reached out because she was reading your column yeah. and said, I got to meet this guy. And you thought what when she called? Yeah, she said, you know, this is Oprah Winfrey. And I said, yeah, this is Batman. I mean, <laughs> no way. Uh, right. But it was the voice. And and it's great because, you know, when you, I, I write a column every Thursday morning in The Atlantic called How to Build a Life. It's about happiness yeah. and the science of happiness. And it has a half a million readers, sometimes a million readers, depending. You know, I have a lot of, a lot of people read the column. You don't know who. You never know if it's Oprah Winfrey reading your column. You don't know. And then and it's incredibly gratifying that you can touch a lot of people in different walks of life. And she has an opportunity in her career because she's so well-known and she's so well-respected and people listen to her that when she talks about something, it makes people interested in it. So she uses a lot of her platform to uh, to, to direct people's attention to right. beautiful things that they can use. And, <clears throat> and this was, in her opinion, something that people needed to know more about. And also she's an example of someone with, with anything but a perfect upbringing. A yeah. lot of people listening yeah. to us right now say, well, if you had my background, if you had yeah. my stress, right. uh, you would you, know, uh, you would not be happy. Yeah, oh, totally. I mean, the whole idea is that you know, it's the most amazing thing. And people say, well, yeah, Oprah Winfrey, of course she can write about happiness. She's that's a billionaire. But that's it's insanity. That's actually not true at all. I mean, it's I've met a lot of people of great net worth, and they're not, they're actually not happier. No, I get it. If you're really poor and, and very and struggling to make the rent, you can't get adequate health care. Those are unbelievable sources of anxiety. But, you know, most of the people listening to us, they're paying the rent. They're getting three squares. And the truth is they're – a lot of them are a lot happier than billionaires. Part of the reason is because they're doing a lot of things right in their lives and their faith and their family and their friendships and in their communities and all the things that you need because happiness is not money. Happiness is love. But I think when you say to yourself, how do I make myself happy? Sometimes it comes off as egotistical. Well, you know, excuse me, why are you so important that you have to be happy? Yeah, no. You know, yeah. and doesn't that work against what you're trying to say? Yeah, and it, that's one of the things we talk about in the book. If A lot of people who think, I want to be happy. I want to attain ultimate happiness. To begin with, you won't. It can't happen on this side of heaven. It just doesn't because what you need is to get happier. You need bad feelings, but you need to understand them, manage them, learn from them, and grow from them. That's really part of a, of a fulfilling life. It's what you're talking about when your kids are in sports. I don't want my kids to win every game. I want my kids to – my daughter's a, a collegiate rugby player. Wow. Yeah, yeah. She's four foot eleven mm-hmm. in heels. I mean, 100 pounds soaking wet. It's unbelievable. She's very fast is, you know, what is the way it works. But, you know, I don't want my daughter to be, you know, to win every single game because she wouldn't have a full life right. experience. The truth is one of the biggest mistakes that, that young people make today is they're, they're sort of the anti-hippies. The hippies were if it feels good, do it. For a lot of young people today, if it, if it feels bad, make it stop. If, it, if I'm suffering in any way, treat it. Something's wrong with me if I'm feeling pain. No, that's completely wrong. If you're in your 20s and you're not depressed and anxious, something's wrong with you. All right, I'll take a step back. You're, you're deep. Why is it that almost everybody you talk to feels great helping somebody? Yeah, the reason is because when you help somebody else, you open up your soul to love. That's what you're doing. Happiness is love. And the way that you get love is by giving it. That's the truth. Now, we're not evolved, once again, to be happy. We're evolved to pass on our genes and to survive. And so the things that we do to help other people, they don't always come naturally. But that's the hack. That's the glitch in in Mother Nature's matrix. If you immediately right now, it's like, it's funny. I was doing a show the other day and, and, you know, a member of the audience said, you know, I don't like my job and it's making me unhappy. It's a boring job and I think it's trivial. I sit in a cubicle all day long. What should I do? And I said, here's the answer. 
When you feel that, get up, look at the person in the next cubicle, go to the break room and bring that person, bring her a fresh cup of coffee, even though she didn't ask for it. And look at the, look at the, the, the smile that actually forms on her face. And then start doing that a couple of times every day. And then you'll become a different person. You'll become that guy in the office that's always just for no reason doing nice things for people. And, and in a month, you'll say, I like my job better. I don't know why. Yeah. That's so interesting. Yeah. You also take action, right? Absolutely. It's yeah, all about action. Happy, take action. One action would be buy the book. <laughs> That's like, one thing it. to do. We wrote it for, it's our, it's our expression of love, and we wrote it for everybody who wants it. Listen, we all can't get in to take your class. This is the best thing. The art and science of getting happier. Build a life you want. Arthur Brooks, thanks so much. And Oprah, thank you, too, wherever you are. Thank you. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.